Hey everyone, and welcome to Mind Body Green's beauty podcast, Clean Beauty School. I am your host and Mind Body Green's beauty director, Alexandra Engler. On this podcast, we explore beauty through the lens of well being. Thank you so much for joining me today. On today's episode, I have on Gloria Liu and Victoria Fu. They are the cosmetic chemists behind the very popular blog and podcast and brand, Chemist Confessions. They are also the authors of the book, Skincare Decoded, which explains everything you need to know about routines and ingredients and what goes into a formula. In today's episode, we are getting into skincare myths, ingredient pet peeves, and what to look for in products that you are using on your own skin. Without further ado, Victoria, Victoria, welcome. Hi, Alex. Thank you for having us. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I am so excited to get to know you guys a little bit better and hear some more of your story. I feel like education is such a big driving factor for what you guys do, and I'm just so blown away by how easy it it is to understand when you guys break it down for us. So I can't wait to hear more on, on this conversation, and I know our audience will feel the same way. But, you know, before we get into the nitty gritty of the chemistry and the formulations and all that sort of stuff, I would just love if our audience could get to know you guys a little bit better. What is your background? What drew you into chemistry and more specifically cosmetic chemistry? How much time do you have? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm happy to go first. I'll be honest, I never thought I would end up in the industry. I studied, I actually wasn't even planning to study chemical engineering. I was trying to go down bioengineering route, but then found myself chemical engineering and hit a existential crisis of what I wanted to do with my life because the road I was heading down was more in pharma. The cool thing was I actually was lucky enough to get an academia research gig where I could do research in acne. And so through that, and and it was like a, a personal passion of mine because I've dealt with acne all my life. And so that I think being able to do something in application instead of sitting in front of the textbook was really brought all of it together. So when I was looking for a job, I was just sitting there thinking like, man, the road of pharma is so long, you know, and it's, it's high pressure. The timelines are long. I don't really know if that's like what I want to do for the next 40, 50 years of my life. So I decided, you know what, I want something fun, like at least let it be fun. And so decided, well, why don't I just try applying to a bunch of beauty companies out there? But I went to a school in San Diego. The beauty scene is really not in San Diego, so it was a little bit siloed. I don't know how many times I put my resume out there. I'm sure some of the big companies have my resume like, like 50 times. times. Yeah, 50 <laughs> times over. But was lucky enough to get a job as a skincare chemist for L'Oreal. Mm. And that's how I met Gloria. So I'll let Gloria okay. <laughs> yeah, take it away from there, Gloria. Yeah. <laughs> What's your story? Our background was in chemical engineer. And we recently had a conversation that chemical engineering is like that major that taken like the strays. So I started out in physics and I was like, I don't know what to do with my life. So let's do chemical engineering. Still confused. Went down a very different path in school. Oh, I, wound up, sorry, I wound up doing a lot of classes in sustainable energy. And the climate when I left school was very different. So it was really hard to find a job in the field without maybe going to a PhD. You're not 
as many companies that was investing in that kind of work at that time. So it was just, it was a frenzy in job hunting. And I'll be honest, I didn't have a, I didn't have a lot of connection or a lot of personal passion to, towards the beauty industry. But when we were job hunting, for me, the options in front of me were an internship at the L'Oreal Labs formulating lipsticks or watching paint dry. I had a process engineering offer at a paint company and I was like, let me see which sounds more interesting. <laughs> so that's how I wound up at L'Oreal around the same time as Victoria. Mm-hmm. And even though I did that summer as a, an intern in the lip lab, I wound up transitioning to skincare, which I'm very thankful okay. for because color cosmetics, as from a chemist perspective, is insane. So, yeah. How so? You have to, you have yeah. to an eye for it because every yeah. tone, if it's a simple cream or even a purple there's an undertone yeah. there's three tones to it you know yeah. so just there is a bit of a this analytical side of the art that you have to see and definitely that's not the case for the two of us and why we don't ever plan to touch color cosmetics. Are you scared of marketing assistant when, when we're just chit-chatting also I was like I would never touch color do you know how many skews go like how many colors is in one skew how many formulas that is and everything is different and yeah like foundation <laughs> matching has got to be one of the most painful jobs in the world yeah. and each pigment yeah. has their own characteristics so yeah. when you talk about like testing you want to see you know do QAQC they all have their own characters that you have to monitor for but all of those elements are in different blends per different color. So it's just a nightmare for us that we're like, we don't love makeup enough to do this. <laughs> anyway, we digress. But that's yeah. how we found ourselves here. <laughs> no, I think that's so interesting. I, I'll, I'll go off on a small tangent off this too. I was having a conversation with another, with a makeup artist on this podcast. And we were just talking about how incredible it is that brands are able to come out with like 40, foundation skews in like a single launch because you think about the logistics of stability testing and testing all of those skews is just mind-blowing when you actually think about it but I mean so I I can understand where you guys come from when you're saying we're not touching it okay so how did you pair up well Oh, okay. Uh, well, so we'll say, you know, the cool thing is, I think when Gloria and I met, first of all, we were cubicle neighbors. And when you're cubicle neighbors starting out at similar times, you're going to share similar experiences. You're also going to share your gripes with the industry or projects cool. and all of that. And that's generally how we bonded. And then I guess as fate had it, we also ended up leaving at the same time. We, I think we both actually we're trying to leave the industry. Well, at least for me, I was really trying to leave the industry entirely. And it was through like sharing very similar frustrations of actually being a chemist. You know, when you work for a big company, you learn so much, you know, like you, you realize like how much it does take to, to launch a single product successfully. But at the same time as a chemist and it being our first jobs, you don't actually get a lot of say on how formulas get made, especially for big companies where marketing drives everything. So I think knowing that and thinking about like, this is a long career, you know, like we're going to hit a point where it's like, I I don't know what more we could do in this job function. You know, we could keep learning and, 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 and just continuing to formulate all different products, but like 
ultimately we just it's just generally the want to, to learn more do more so i think when we left we actually both took some time off and then we decided well if we are gonna leave the industry why not just share our industry insider knowledge with people and i think that was like a major frustration for us is seeing like how our close ones like just couldn't they couldn't figure out how to shop for a good product you know and we were the kind of go-to people to help them i'll I'll let you kind of add the next part yeah i just we felt like honestly it was a lot of i think a lot of people ask this they're like oh did you know that you're gonna do chemist confessions did you know that you're did you guys leave to do this absolutely yeah you know i think our earlier content was adorable (laughs) i had like two liners on things like glycerin good and it was kind of a, it was also to offend. I think it, we veiled it in positivity, but there's a lot of like, haha, did you know that there's a chemist behind every product you make? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this should be stable, you know, and things like that. <laughs> and when it kind of gained traction, that's when we, you know, sat down and just thought that, you know, do we try to do this for real? Do we expand and make chemist confessions into a full-fledged company? And yeah, that's that's what we decided to go, that the route we decided to go down. And it was definitely fueled by the fact that we didn't have jobs. Yeah, <laughs> we were I was going to say, we were not making money. We, and we this were, Instagram yeah. account was a full-time job. I think someone was like, we had followers asking where we were working, uh, who we were working for. We're like, we have fun employed. <laughs> yeah, just kind of how we, how our lives lined up in that sense. Yeah. And here okay, we are. So- and here you are. And thank God you guys stayed in the industry. It benefits the rest of us, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the goal. Yes. Well, you guys, you know, you obviously wrote a book too, Skincare Decoded. So tell me about that process and why you decided that you wanted to write something of this nature and, you know, what that process was like. Well, first of all, I, was just, <laughs> say, I just want to thank you for reading it, like yeah. being able to read it. Because I think we always knew education, even if we were going to launch a, pro- a line of products, was going to still be a big mission and goal for the company. You know, it's like what drove us even to where we are today. And uh, we we never planned to write a book. It was a spam email. <laughs> it was. So we told the story where the timing made sense. The timing kind of lined up. Yeah. You know how sometimes you do something you're really proud of and then three months yeah. later you go back and you're like, want to call your eyes out. So. Our blog can be to a point where everything at the time where we were, when we were writing, it made sense. And then yeah. as the content grew, it was kind of, it become kind of messy and it was even hard for us to internally organize these thoughts and help mm-hmm. people get their routine from beginning to end. And then we got this email and I love this story because our editor's name or the editor who reached out to us, her last name was Bear, like B-E-A-R. So it was like, a, the joke was like, oh, a bear emailed us. Should we respond? <laughs> is, this, is this real? Yeah, yeah, it did not feel real. Like, sure, really? I would approach us to like write a book, you know. Yeah. And I think it was really just kind of like, oh, why not? Right. Yeah. Why, like, what, what could it hurt if we Let's see that? what happens. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And they're real. <laughs> yeah. They're, email them back she was very kind she actually found us through one of we were i think gloria was on a slate podcast Mm -hmm. and um we turns out meet her in person they are a legitimate publishing company they actually beautiful visual books so it felt like a really great partnership because we don't have the visuals and i think that was the one Mm -hmm. thing that would 
be really fruitful from putting it into like an organized book. I think still to this day today, it's still the hardest thing we've ever done. Yeah. Really? Yeah, because we're not writers. It was also during COVID. And when we weren't able to like meet, go meet them in person, the it became very difficult to like move the project forward. And uh, I think for us, I don't know how many times we rewrote and reorganized. Yeah. yeah, Alice, I think I saw in your notes, you, one of the things you wanted to, you wanted to mention was how we dissect everything down so that yeah, we yeah. understand skin science, you know, without needing to get a full on degree for it. And that was one of the biggest existential crises we had writing this book is who is this book for? Like, how deep do we go? Like, how much detail? What's actually helpful? And and when we are writing on Instagram, sometimes like you can get we start attracting this crowd of people that already know a lot of things. Like they know mm-hmm. if we we're talking about clinical study, they'll ask, Well, is this is this placebo control? You know, but <laughs> yeah. we felt like, you know, like the book should be geared towards someone that's like an mm-hmm. absolute beginner. They can pick up the book okay. and read it. But then we we're like, yeah. but wait, 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 wait. People want expert level knowledge. So how do we make it digestible? So Oh my God, the number of chapters we had to rewrite because we had all these questions about like just what would you what's helpful for people. Sure. And, and I was just gonna say no that every time if you hear <laughs> us say we rewrote it or reorganized, someone had thoughts about the other writer being <laughs> strangled. <laughs> <laughs> when whoever proposed, like I think this this moment. <laughs> that other person's visualizing that person. <laughs> It got to a point, honestly, that sounds like my writing process. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, just a, a quick follow-up question on that is because, you know, skincare is very nuanced and it can be on the surface level, it can be very like light and fun, but you guys know it better than anybody that as you start digging into it, it gets really, really complicated really, really fast. Yes. At what point do you say, you know, like, this is too deep, like we just need to pull back. And at what point do you say, you know, like, oh, like people can understand this, people can get this. I mean, like, how do you walk that line? I think the, it ultimately led down to like, what is an actionable item for a user, right? Like sometimes there are moments where we, the chemists, nerd out and be like, this is just really interesting. And we'll have like the fun blips, but Ultimately, we realize it's like we can share all the nitty gritty details. And it's also complicated because most of the most of like, okay, what's best to use? What's, you know, the kind of like black and white answering doesn't quite apply. It's, Mm -hmm. It's just not an exact science, you know. And so I think for us, it's like it really came down to like the routine sections. The routine sections had to happen even though we went into great detail on like these actives, right? But it doesn't mean anything unless you can figure out how to use it in your own routine. So so long as like there is a way for them to at least give them ideas of how to implement, how to improve, or even just how to troubleshoot, which is really the biggest issue in skincare. Just how to troubleshoot a routine for your skin type. Then for us, we feel like then we've accomplished the goal, right? And that's actually really hard because there are certain like subjects, for example, cleansers, where it's just just subjective. It is not a clear science as to what works for your skin. 
and we can suggest you, we can give you a, a great tour of how oh. to organize the cleansers, but telling you like, this is the right one. Unfortunately, like y- you have to trial it, you know, that that's when yeah. skin history it matters. Your routine history mm-hmm. matters, you know. Our recent so. running joke in the company is that we think our marketing assistant is going to stab us the next time we say, well, you know, it depends, right? <laughs> but we'll never see her a black or white answer. Yeah, but no, exactly to Victoria's point, I think the way we design our line, the way we approach a book, it all like, we just feel like people, it's so empowering if people feel like they have, they're comfortable enough with their skin and they know enough to to say, hey, today my skin is a little angry this is i know to reach for that product or you know like the seasons are changing i know what i need you know and i think when we first started we did we did a lot decode that ingredient list type of content and ultimately it got too like nitty-gritty to a point that again we like fell back to that core value of like well is this helpful you know is finding this ingredient on the ingredient list actually helpful how do we highlight the ones that's really going to make a difference for someone yeah yeah I mean, follow-up question on that. We know that the consumer right now wants to be super educated on the ingredient list. You know, I think we we see that with a lot of these, like, you know, ingredient websites. We, mm. you know, I have people reaching out to me all the time about products that I recommend. They're like, can you help me understand this ingredient list? You know, there's just, there's so much information out there about various ingredients that you might see pop up and like ones that are good versus ones that are bad. And we know that there's actually a lot of nuance within ingredient mm-hmm. lists. And so how do you talk to people about ingredient lists, knowing this idea that it's actually super nuanced and it's it's not always black and white? Like, how do you have that conversation with people? Because I think people want it to be black and white. And yeah, I think you you highlight the problem exactly right, that people will like a yes or no answer. And sometimes like we try to put the consumer's hat on right like we ourselves we are we're experts in skincare and beauty but when we're shopping for say the frozen food aisle maybe we don't read that those ingredients as you know in as much detail and you know like you only have so much bandwidth not everyone has the time to be an expert in these nuances so they are looking for that quick like it well is it good for me or not so we try to and 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 i and just want to say that the industry as a whole sometimes is a little opportunistic with that like they'll throw mm-hmm. ingredients under the bus because it gives the illusion of like you know the due diligence is done you know we're better than the others Ta-da! you know and yeah. for us we actively preach against that kind of thinking because we do think sometimes the alternatives are definitely is a bigger risk than not and then in terms of how do we communicate to people that there's nuance to it I should find that when you approach people with a level of candor, they are they're okay with it. If you're like, hey, you know, there's there's the pros and cons of these two things really quickly, like a top level overview. Yeah. If you're concerned, we should point you towards this direction. If not, just know that like, you know, just like give them like for the one on one. And I think for the most part, people have been receptive to that kind of conversation and they are to give consumer more credit, even though they even though they want a quick answer they are okay with at least one degree of nuance you get them mm-hmm. i love that they're okay with one degree of nuance because you do find that people you know people are smart they understand that like okay this usually isn't black and white like we yes. we know that in whatever field that we live in like 
So people can often like take that understanding and apply it to beauty. Like, okay, this doesn't have to be as cut and dry as perhaps I want it to be, but I also don't have to be a chemist to understand it. I can just trust that, you know, these are my sort of standards. And so this is what I'll use and that's all they need to worry about, you know, so. I, I would say in the in as far as ingredient lists for us now, we find them it's maybe can give you just an ounce of like clarity on something, for example, like sensitivity, irritation. Right. Like when they start having it's like the troubleshooting part is when ingredient yeah. lists we can start figuring out like okay, for example, I in acne, salicylic acid isn't everything they just cannot help themselves with this marketing label that it has to go in everything and unfortunately for the consumer they don't realize that in maybe every product including a support product they would find that ingredient and and if let's say if you think about like looking at the ingredient list for in that scenario it can be very helpful but if you say like for example someone who wants to say one's better than the other that's where it becomes a lot more questionable. It's, it really comes down to not even just the ingredients, like testing. How is it made? Yeah. Simulation itself. Like there's so it, it really I feel like for us, it, it's really dependent on the scenario. One ingredient like decode that we absolutely do not entertain is when people start looking at sunscreens mm-hmm. and they start mm-hmm. saying like, well, this one only has 12 percent zinc oxide, but this one has 30 like what does that mean does that mean one's not more effective like no 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 that is not how that works all of that has to be tested in order to make those claims so you cannot go and challenge a percentage like that in in, in a world where now percentages are everything right so sure it of course with like more transparency comes more confusion more like questions and so i think for us yeah. we see like our job's never done but no you know, like, <laughs> It is cool to see like how much the follower will ask, you know, they ask the types of questions, how a consumer, the level of work they will do to make sure they they get something that will help, you know. So that's all. Yeah. No, and I do think that's a really good point, especially the percentage thing. And you even just said, you know, percentages are everything nowadays in the beauty space. You know, everybody is like 20%. This is that 20% vitamin C. So that's how I know it's good. And you know, it's it, not everyone can necessarily tolerate yes, these products right. that are that high or, you know, maybe you're stacking too many ingredients that are like high in a certain thing. So, you know, it's it's challenging because, you know, I think people hear that, you know, they become educated on one level that, oh, I know that I want something that's potent and at this certain percentage, but they don't necessarily see it in the bigger picture like you guys might because you understand the nuances of all of this stuff together. Right. It's crazy. We've seen so much change mm-hmm. like since we started. Yeah. Gloria yeah. has a great line. <laughs> she talks about how, but when we first started, it was all about like how you'd only get a cat sneeze worth of active, you know, but now we have to now like, be, it's the other end where we're yeah. like, there's no reason you should be putting 4% retinol on your face every night. You know, there's no reason you should be like looking for, you know, a uh, high level 30, you need to force like 30% glycolic acid into your routine every day. You know, like it's, it's that part where we're like now like, wait, what just happened? Hey, tell that, tell that. <laughs> yeah. And I was just going to say that there's days I'm like, 
oh my god, I feel mildly responsible for these trains of trauma because we talked yeah. a lot about percentage to start. Yeah. Don't do exactly as Victoria said because I think when we started, consumers are in a space where they're not, they don't really think about these things. It's not top of mind for them to sit, to think, oh, is this an efficacious percentage? Yes. And then the train has derailed so fast and so hard. The other direct, <laughs> we're like, wait, hold on, hold on. Don't touch a 30% of cinema. You don't need it. No, I mean, I think you guys are totally spot on on that. It it came from a good place. I really do think the consumer was, you know, coming from a good spot on that. But we have totally gone off the rails. Not all of us need all of these super potent products all of the time. In that vein, I wanted to ask you guys about, you know, formulation myths and misconceptions that get on your nerves. And, you know, let's debunk them here. This is one of my favorite things to do with people is to give them a soapbox and say, what bothers you? Let's talk about it. Now, where do we start? I always feel like it's a season time of day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I always say this one, but I definitely have issues with the oil-free claim. I'm Mm. very oily. And I think sometimes it's, it's not helpful to the consumer because it's not a regulated claim. So, which means that per brand, it could mean anything. It could mean like just silicone emulsions. It could mean like an oil that just doesn't have the word oil in it, you know. So it's just not helpful. And also there are good oils out there that can be helpful for oily skin. So I think that to me always is very frustrating, especially for people who are already kind of like struggling with either being too oily or they're looking for, you know, like acne friendly routines, it just kind of leads them further astray. So that would be more of like a claims frustration for me. Really good one. I don't think a lot of people know that. Oh, well, I'll keep saying. Yeah. So for me, I guess like consumers are so segmented that I think we talk to a group of people to them might be a no brainer that like your products need preservatives. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until relatively recently the honey the honey pot drama that I realized that it's still such an area that people are there's so many fear mongering. I, I feel like the industry or certain brands shot themselves in the foot there where they market themselves in this corner now that preservatives is a dirty word and parabens is well and dead under the marking buzz and then now phenoxy ethanol is under fire. You know, it's just like your products need preservatives and that's that's something that's really horrifying for us to see that these products are in formats that's very bacteria friendly or or fungus friendly and it's only using natural preservatives now on the supplier end there there are solutions that have more natural takes to them but just so you know that i just i do a lot of times those aren't as robust and if you're a smaller brand, um, I don't even want to say smaller brand. I think it's hard for a consumer to suss out how well yeah. a brand did their preservative efficacy testing. And that to me okay. is a real danger when you play up the marketing that preservatives are bad. You're inviting like players that didn't really do their due diligence of putting out products that's actually dangerous and will no. spread yeah. a whole ecosystem before it gets to you. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, follow up question on that preservative efficacy test. Can you explain a little bit more by which mean they haven't done their due diligence with the preservative efficacy testing? You know, what does that mean? Yeah, so there are a few different test standards in the industry where you can do, but generally speaking, you want to age the sample over a course of time. And 
in the final packaging because packaging does also impact like how a consumer interacts with the products and how robust your system has to be. The formula type really matters too. You know, we're talking about viscosity, pH, you know, water content, so on and so forth. There's a lot of things that affect it. And essentially, every time you do a new formula, there, there isn't a set dose of things, right? That you say, hey, I have yeah. this amount of preservatives. I dump it in everything. And it will work for everything. And then I'm done, right? That's yeah. not how that works. So even though there's rough guidelines to about how much preservatives you need, you still need to test it through this aging test. And at the end of the day, because cosmetics isn't regulated in that sense, technically brands can launch it without doing those tests. And yeah. you wouldn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so terrifying. It is very terrifying. It's terrifying for us, like, no, like yeah. being on this side of things, you know, like, and knowing that this is happening, you know, and, you know, that's why it's, yeah, uh, get yourself a chemist, you know, like, you <laughs> keep championing that because it's, it is a challenge, you know, like, I definitely want to say for us and in our lives, doing preservative reforms can be very challenging per type of formula. And it is not a big, it's not an easy feat always. Like sometimes they're they're pretty standard, but like I think I, we've all had to deal with reforms where it surprises just, you. <laughs> just some very weird surprises. And the other thing too, you Explain know, more. Um, what do you mean? Like, let's say somebody brings you a formula that doesn't have a preservative in it and then you have to reformulate it with a preservative. Is that what you're saying? That and also doing kind of like what Gloria was saying, doing preservative replacements because now these okay. replacements are being thrown under the bus and we now and, need to do... Oh, I see. So that on the other end too. Exactly. Or, and with it. that, you know, just want to think about, you know, we always say concentration is everything, even with preservatives, right? So... A very effective preservative. You may only need just a little bit of it, right? But when you start bringing in new preservatives, right? Maybe ones that might be not as effective. Now you have to think of much higher concentrations of preservative. Mm -hmm. What does that mean for us, our skin? Maybe irritation, right? So I, I think it's always like it is a very fine balance, and that's why you do want to leave it to the chemist to like make sure that is tested properly, formulated properly, and also it's well thought of like not just the formula itself, but formula in the package that it comes in because a jar yeah. versus a pump, the interaction, the human interaction is very different. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's all. I mean, the testing side of product formulation I find to be very fascinating just because to your point it isn't regulated but I do know that at least the big players they they go through the tests just yeah. you know if nothing else but to save their own asses because you know they you don't afraid. want think you get the most yeah. lawsuits so. they are afraid yeah yeah so now, you know if nothing else is to preserve yourself there are these companies do it to preserve themselves but you know, the the stuff isn't necessarily regulated. And I do think that because it's not regulated, you do have a lot of nuances where you, you know, maybe a product wasn't tested in the final packaging or, you know, maybe it, it's, it wasn't tested, you know, X, Y, Z in certain ways. And I do think that is like, as a consumer, that's really alarming to hear. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I guess I don't even have a follow up question to that. It's just, wow, scary, kind of. Yeah. So I mean, to that end, I do think that this does circle back to 
why we do what we do because we feel being an educated consumer is ultimately what's going to push the industry in the right direction even though like we have our frustrations with like the fear-mongering tactic you know like some of the beliefs of clean beauty i don't i think is a little misguided (laughs) but i mean i i totally agree with you i (laughs) that's why i have these discussions i you know (laughs) so we can clear them up because the clean beauty space is very messy, so yeah. <laughs> someone has to get in here and talk about it. Yeah, but we're always firmly on the train that like it, it's coming from a good place, right? Ultimately, yeah. it's consumers trying to make better decisions for their for themselves. So we hope to educate so that people ask the right questions. Like maybe the question shouldn't be, "Hey, like I think parabens might cause cancer." It should be. You know, like what's being done to protect my product so that, you know, I don't put yeast on my face. <laughs> and, you know, it's stuff that people don't think about. And I think it's industry as a whole can do a lot better in guiding people in these things. Yeah. No, I think I think you're spot on. I always say that in regards to like yes and no lists, you know, I, I know you see a lot of preservatives on people's no lists. And yeah. my comeback to that is always, well, you know what's on my no list? pathogenic bacteria <laughs> you know like there you go. i'd rather not have that in my products than you know certain preservatives so like that's all to say I, I agree with you yeah that's the note <laughs> list we want <laughs> exactly exactly okay so i want to ask you guys about innovations and what you're excited about and you know what what you're looking forward to in this space what do you have your eye on I think it's a great question. There's a few things we're keeping our eyes on. One that we talked about a lot is microbiome. Yeah. I do think, I, I hope it doesn't die out because there's a lot of interesting early science there. You know, what we know in terms of what we know of like how everyone's microbiome is a little different. The balance of it plays a big role in your health. But it is difficult to make that, from take that data and translate it into meaningful products. So we do see like, Certain concepts are a little ahead of its time and the, and the testing isn't that robust. So, you know, you launch something, you call it microbiome, ta-da, and then maybe the fad goes and then the marketing, it, it's just like there's a general marketing awareness of the word microbiome, but maybe the interest is not there. But I hope it kind of stays a little longer because I, I do think there's a lot of cool science being done there. There are also a lot of challengers coming into this space, maybe more pharmacide or biotech side of things that want to enter the field, bring different types of technology. That's definitely something that's exciting. And of course, like, that's why we're here, kind of help people vet these new science. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how do you guys go about formulating a product? Oh, (laughs) It's whimsy, but I will say when we first, you know, what's funny is even though we didn't necessarily plan on creating a line, when we first decided we're committing to this idea, create a line that same ethos, you know, education solves a problem, good formulation, transparency. We actually already knew what we wanted to create first off, and it was a line of moisturizer solutions because we felt like moisture shopping for a moisturizer was such an archaic concept like normal combo Mm -hmm. dry like every brand's definition of that is so different but there is you know there is a little bit of science to the ingredients so we wanted to create a more on functionality of ingredients can definitely say (laughs) when we launched that it was a bit early for our time that launch did not go as planned and we're like all right we are not marketers we did not (laughs) 
on explaining this to people. <laughs> One of uh, my favorite products are like Aqua Fix, the yeah. staple in our routine. It's like the best of the humectants. And we make sure the entire mm-hmm. lunch has like high level of soothing ingredients. And I still remember someone's like, oh, okay, so is this a serum? I'm like, it's the best of humectants. And the, and the follower was like, so is this a serum? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> right, right. right. We forgot about that part. People don't know what humans forget. <laughs> so, you know, we we try, we definitely will not be, we, when we f- want to formulate anything new, we definitely will not formulate something that's already out there. We want to believe okay. that it will at least be better than what's out there because in our previous life, that kind of work is not very <laughs> fulfilling. <laughs> like taking a formula and putting it, you know, trying to do it for like different seasons, you know, and, and in just a different bottle. It's just like not really. It's just sure. like you feel like there's. Well, a you don't want to add pumpkin spice latte to your cream. <laughs> no, no. As much as I love those cookies and <laughs> and coffee, no. So, I think generally speaking, we start out with a champion ingredient yeah. or and a supporting cast around it. Like, what's the what do we want this product to accomplish? What do we think the industry is not doing? good job on which category identify the champions and usually there's a lot of them at at very high levels and we're like yeah let's bring them together and and then it's like a circle of well a doesn't like to be with c so do we replace c or do we make them come together in a formula and there's a lot of troubleshooting after that Yeah. And then when it's you a, say make them come together in a formula can you explain more like how do you go about making ingredients play together <laughs> oh time sweat tears blood there's a few aspects there ones that are the ones that will straight up have a reaction you tend not to want to formulate together let's just not force that interaction there are ingredients that maybe compete with one another in terms of solubility so that's when you have to look at you know other solvents or systems that will help them um both dissolve okay and then the simpler, the most base level types are, you know, you have your water-based active versus your oil-based. So you need the emulsion system. But sometimes like, you know, like active ingredients may like to hang out-ish in both sides and then that will crash your whole system. So that's like usually the the issues we'll run into. The other okay. thing too is like, I think we fail the responsibility as being formulators. And also because of our wants is like, how do we push the limits of yeah. these like very nice. structured concepts of like mm-hmm. a serum or a mask yeah. or a cleanser, right? Like, well, let's ask more of it, right? So I think we always try to think of every formula and like how many ways we can let a user use it, right? So so that it can fit into any routine, but then also yeah. they feel empowered to be like, you know what, my skin doesn't feel great. Like I think I've been using like this treatment. I think I need some soothers or I'm on retinol. You know, I could use like a soothing serum. Yeah. If we can accomplish that with a product, then we're like, that was always the goal with every formula. And then like a good example is with AHAs, right? I think it's yeah. very confusing for people to be like, well, it's in a dropper bottle or it's a toner or it's a cleanser. Like, and then I think we were sitting there being like, why does it have to be in any of these, like just stuck to like one of these formats, right? Why not just yeah. give them a booster that they can use as a mask, as a nightly serum? And that way it is, 
is complete control, right? Over what you need. Instead of, I just bought a toner. I'm like, I don't really think it's doing anything. And then you go and buy a a much more expensive mask and you're like, I think this is too much. And now you've like bought two products and now you're about to buy a third one. It's like, how do we prevent this from happening? (laughs) Yeah. I think that's, you know, such a, a thoughtful approach. I just anyone warned you that this is this type of work is usually therapy hours. (laughs) No, I do think it's a very like thoughtful way to approach this, and I think that it's also like a unique way. And it, 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 I think it separates you guys a little bit from how it's typically done, or how it can be done in other places. And do you think that that is just because of your background and wanting to? have your day-to-day be a little bit different than, you know, perhaps your past jobs? I mean, you know, like where, where did that inspiration come from? Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, I do think chemical fashions is a very direct reflection of yeah. what we want to do. We have, you know, the formulas we make are, you know, to your point, it's a little different. A lot of times, like we formulate to how we want the product to be, then we answer the business question second or last, you know, Got like, it. You know, in terms of how we get delivered to the consumers. And I think a lot of it is partially, I don't know, it is it is a culmination of all of our experiences, right? The beginning yeah. drive is our frustrations working with a bigger company, not being able to do things we want to do. And then, you know, through our platform, we got to interact with real people who appreciate the science, who tell us like maybe products that they're frustrated with and that help inspire us. And a lot of these formulas where we mentioned, we do put them through an incubator group with with our audience just to mm. keep us on track that we're not so so deep in our <laughs> own That's how we launch products that only Gloria and Victoria will buy. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it is a push and pull in the process, but for the most part, it's like, comes from here. Yeah, I think like in, we we truly believe in order to see any like meaningful change, mm-hmm. though being small, like it that is what fuels us. You know, is like if yeah. we if we are committed, we didn't even leave. We had our chance to leave, and we're committed to this. Like, mm-hmm. what exactly yeah. are we trying to change here? Like, and ultimately, we know that change comes with the consumer by asking questions, by wanting things to be better and we see that in a lot of the movements now with like sustainability you know and everyone's asking questions I feel like that's how you can see change happening with the concentrations thing the train left like the train derailed but like but it was amazing like suddenly now ads are talking about real actives you know people I think Eva Longoria is telling you how to say hyaluronic acid correct (laughs) crazy that we, it's become this and so and totally. once we see that as good signs that first of all yeah. consumers they can do their homework they can understand yeah. they are willing to learn you know so we think that all culminates into this feeling of we're happy you know with with chemist confessions and what we can do yeah. here so tell me what's what's next for chemist confessions like what are you guys excited about what are you working on oh man <laughs> well so Victoria and I have recently come to a realization that we never launch anything on time. <laughs> no, yes, they're definitely. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so there, there are a few things in the pipeline that we're really excited about. Things that if you listen to our podcast, you'll know has been in the works for a very long time. So 
on our brand side, we are always going to stay lean. And some of the new exciting things we're working on are improved 2.0 versions of our existing So that's coming soon. But what's really exciting is what what's also really exciting is through our work, we met a lot of other other people in the industry who are doing really exciting work. So we also have some collaborations that we've been working on. Yeah, so one of the probably more mysterious topics in our content has always been about proprietary actives. And Mm -hmm. we serendipitously ran into a founder. His name's Evan. He is the founder of Rivella. And they are a biotech that has the ability to screen for new molecules. And so when we heard that, we're like, interesting like yeah because at chemist confessions we would never have the bandwidth or the manpower to look into a proprietary molecule ourselves so we're like all right that's cool and he really enjoyed like our kind of take on the industry and so when we yeah i was gonna say we were like interesting but in the back of our mind we're like we're never hearing from him ever again that's that's (laughs) also true because it was during covid and we were literally like Oh, I think we got off the call and we're like, oh, that's like really cool work. And then we both like, we're like never hearing from this guy ever again. But yeah, so the cool thing is we've seen that we got to visit their company, see their work and research, and they have been doing some very interesting things in the share thinning space. And they had launched at the time when we met them, had launched their cult favorite product, the Revival Serum. They've done clinicals. We got to see, we got to ask them all the kind of like, tougher questions about testings, how they synthesize, like how do they get to finding the one molecule. And so through that, we've decided, hey, it is kind of interesting, this muscle we haven't been able to exercise, which is working on brand an- new tech, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. A brand new tech that we at Chemist Confessions may not be able to do because we're not kind of like that insider on the molecule side. So that is what we've been up to recently. We have decided to join forces with Ravella as more of a founder in residence position with them because they are all they are looking at molecules in all sorts of spaces and one of them being in skin. So we're cool. really excited to see like what kind of skin concerns that may be able to look at like and they have the research prowess to be able to do all of that screening and so that's that's really the another yeah something we never thought again like the book never Never thought we would do but also yeah had to take it on I was going to say it's exciting, but I also feel like we're definitely like tortured souls because <laughs> yeah. of how you formulate new ingredients and no one yeah. the parameters there yeah. all. Humectants. We, we, if we Real have humectants, <laughs> we all get humectants. They, we can get this. Yeah. So yeah, the lab has been busy. <laughs> I am sure. Okay. I mean, this is going to be a, an extremely dumb question, but I just, I have to ask when you say discover new mo- molecules, like what does that even it, entail? It's not a dumb question no. at all. Cause no. it, it's, it sounds like, oh, okay, discover new molecules. But if you pause to think about it, you're like, wait, what? It's like <laughs> from where? Like, yeah. <laughs> in the air? Like where did these come from? <laughs> well, so it definitely takes a full village to bring any sort of new tech to town. The founders background, yeah. Evan and David, they work in immunology. They teamed up with a computer specialist to do more AI type of program. Yeah. So essentially you have a target. Let's say you're trying to 
target a skin concern or a certain type of skin cell. We know on the market and entering our historical data, what triggers those things that you want to see already. Now you can take a computer model to, to find out, to kind of learn like why do these molecules work? What makes it interesting? And then you, uh, and then you take a bunch of other molecules, run it through the same path. Okay. What makes this interesting pathway or interesting cell light up? And then from there, you refine a program to basically get it down to the exact molecular structure that's going to be perfect for what you're trying to get it to do. Wow. That's yeah. really cool. I, I I think I would need another podcast episode of just you explaining this technology to me and then maybe I'll get it. But we'll save that for another time because this sounds fascinating. Yeah, I don't even know very, if we, very you cool. know, could do it all justice, but I think it is, in terms of innovation, it is a really cool f- for us to be part of it and to see, like, yeah. everything that has evolved in, like, screening for all of these different compounds, mm-hmm. the way it's structured, you're looking for different characteristics, and even screening for things like safety, yeah. and then how to go from there all the way to an actual ingredient to put into the formula where we come in. There's so much involved in that. And I would say that's definitely something that we haven't been able to have been part of yet. And I guess, yeah, to Gloria's statement, tortured artists, we cannot help ourselves. <laughs> we want to learn. We want to be part of it. We want to experience. And that's how we ended up there. Yay. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. Well, very cool. I can't wait to uh, see how this continues to develop. I'm I'm on the edge of my seat. So the last part of this podcast episode, I talk about what you guys do for yourself. So you guys, you have to give me the skincare routine first off, and then we'll get into the other ways you take care of, take care of yourself. Cool. So we'll start with you at Victoria. So I'm a bit of a minimalist. I I'm just inherently lazy, but I use our blank slate cleanser morning and night to start my routine. During the daytime routine, because I get very oily, it's very simple. I will do a vitamin C serum. I've recently been like basically exploring the more affordable vitamin C landscape. And then I finish with Aquafix and then the sunscreen that we're recently testing is Bior Aquarisha's new fluid. Mm-hmm. So that's my morning routine. And then night routine is a blank slate cleanser. It is our double play retinol serum, and that's it. Unless I'm breaking out, which I will spot treat with our specialist, I am definitely one that just like can't wait to be in bed. Like I will try to find as many corners as possible. And so I just want like three steps max is good. Yeah. Okay. All right. Keep it simple. I like it. All right. Gloria. I have really dry skin, so a little bit more steps than Victoria. Morning, I don't do a full wash. I just kind of wash with water. Aquafix is my staple both morning and night as the first step after washing to keep myself hydrated. I tend to go through a revolving door of moisturizers because as I preview, we've been working on Miss Reliable 2.0. So I'll try that, but I also <laughs> mention it against a lot of different moisturizers on the market just to kind of keep an okay. eye out for different things that's yeah. out there. So never the same two moisturizers. I go through a couple. Trivectin was kind of okay. just uh, their Super C SPF. That one mm-hmm. I find actually pretty moisturizing. I do find right now a lot of 
Uh, it, it's a chemical uh, filter form, uh, formula. For a while last year, because there are so many new mineral sunscreens that's out, when we're testing those, it always makes me really cranky because it always dries me out. So I'll go back to that for a more moisturizing moisturizer. I also have a favorite Japanese moisturizer. It's like a white tube. You can also buy on Amazon. It's called like the Carnegie Alley. It's like A-L-L-I-E. That one's been my okay. uh, other go-to. Kind of depends on my mood. I will say Japanese sunscreens, especially ones that's more, that one is half and half. It's a, it's a half mineral, half chemical formula. But mm-hmm. Asian formulas, they can skew a little bit wider than people think because the beauty standard there is you want to be pale. So having a, a slight white cast is actually okay. So if you're a little yeah. bit darker, that might not be a good choice for you. Can confirm because even for me, you'll see a white cast. Yeah. So that's my morning routine. Night routine, I tend to double cleanse. So I like to tell people like my go-to is like I what either whatever oil or balm cleanser I'm using, which right now it's the pink oil bottle called like Softimo or something. It's a Japanese brand. Okay. I would like to keep it double cleansing optional. So I'll double cleanse. Uh, I'll, I'll use that when I have makeup on. If I don't, then I just use blank slate. Aquafix is a staple. I do exfoliate pretty heavily. I use a lot of chemical Mm -hmm. exfoliants. If I have time, I find myself a little too busy to mask nowadays. I used to do our gold sander or some other like higher level glycolic acid treatment every week. But now I'm a little busy. A while ago, I've been trialing, I think I was used used to the people's HA toner. And now I, sure. mix, now I just mix a gold sander with Aquafix to save myself a step. And then whatever revolving door moisturizer that I have. And I definitely always have a balm on hand. I use our Balm Voyage, which is also maybe getting a 2.0 treatment. <laughs> and um, Reveal! That's a, <laughs> yeah, I feel like so much breaking news. <laughs> and it's Yeah, but yeah. also <laughs> hand because I do, I am very prone to flaky dry spots. That it was really long for both of us. I will give you a preview that our hair care routine is really short. <laughs> what a hair care routine? <laughs> you check Costco's coupon books. <laughs> so I'm I'm getting that you guys are much more of skincare skincare gals, <laughs> not as much in the hair care realm. So the last thing I always ask is how do you take care of yourselves as a whole? Because, you know, I am a firm believer that everything is skincare on some level from how much you sleep to, you know, your mental health. So I always like to ask people, you know, what are some of your well-being staples? Like how do you practice self-care in a meaningful way? This is silly, but in terms of mental health, I will say very lucky that I have a co-founder that also shares the same humor because definitely the journey is not an easy one and if you can't laugh at it you're gonna be it's gonna be rough you know there's certain situations where it's just kind of one of these things you know so I think I consider myself pretty lucky in that area we're also surrounded by really good people that also look out for us too and support us and are patient with us. For me, I think having a, a therapy pet has been incredible. I We rescued a cattle dog. For anyone listening out there who might have a cattle dog, know those creatures are weird. They're like <laughs> really smart and really quirky all the same but I that's been really helpful I recently got married my partner has been really helpful through this too so I would say like yeah I've just 
I, I consider myself very lucky in being surrounded by the right people and having an animal in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a great answer. <laughs> I think we said this on, on different podcasts time and time again. It's like, you got tried to come in with a sense of humor, man. Like, it's just, there's, yeah. So there are a lot of things you can do your best and they're just things out of your control. So you got roll with the punches and learn to laugh at yourself a little bit. Yep. I do have two cats. Sometimes they're therapeutic. There are days that they're not very therapeutic. <laughs> <laughs> That's just how cat ownership goes. Uh, I have a partner that followed the same realm. Some days he's very therapeutic. Other days, that's <laughs> my Nintendo. <laughs> that's great answer. Well, listen, thank you guys so much for joining. This was so fun. I am for sure going to have you guys back on. So <laughs> this will not be the last time. And just, you know, thank you so, so much for joining and giving us all your great intel. Thanks for having us. That was a lot of fun for us. And thanks for the therapy. Yes. Also, this is mental health. 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 (laughs) I agree. I agree. Having a good laugh and chat is mental health. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. For more beauty content from the team at Green, you can always read along with our content at mindbuddygreen.com follow us on social media, and of course, tune into next week's episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to rate and review us. And if you ever want to reach out with questions or insights or thoughts, you can find me on Instagram at Alex underscore Blair underscore. Thanks so much for your time.